Hello, Jimbo. Hey, Shepper. I'm having shenanigans. I'm sorry, I'm six minutes late. Uh, no, there's please. wind and stuff going on. There's 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 all sorts. It is shenanigans. Is it too dark? Can you see me? Does it matter? It's perfect How's because the five o'clock shadow that's going on looks even deeper <laughs> and more handsome and rugged, and I'm very happy. Oh, with thanks, that. man. I had I had to give it a bit of head and shoulders today. It was starting to get a bit. Uh, it had it had attitude to me, so we smoothed things over. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, they're they're chilling out. So that's all right. Yes, yes, it's my it's my uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom phase. You know, Last Crusade. He has a specific look which makes him slightly different because he has the tie through a lot of the film. Um, he's wearing the classic indie get-up with a tie, uh, which is tie. nice because he's with his dad, so it's like kind of works. Um, and then in Temple, it's that he's like grizzled as fuck and he hasn't shaved for fucking ages. Uh, I guess all the stress and the, the drinking the blood makes his growth go even more. And they mention that he doesn't have a razor. So, yeah. And then they rip off the arm of his shirt and then Raiders, he's just pure classic beaten up Indies. So there you go. That's my little uh, stubble-inspired ramble. <laughs> How are you, Jimmy? And the less said about the white whiskers of you-know-what, the better. Yeah, <laughs> Jonesy four. Yeah. Uh, well, 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 there you go. You know, that's a shame. But you can't win them all. I mean, it's a shame because it would have been nice. I mean, that's a that's a Shoulders of Giants. What if they made an, an indie, like, let's say, 1994, and then another one, like, 99? Um, that would be exciting. And I then, see that coming, yeah, Sheppy, down the, bit, down the highway. Like, it would sort of be like an elongated, because I'd like, you know, a, a relatively good story outline for, like, at least four. Even, like, Bond, but it just retained Harrison all the way through the 90s and noughties right up to now and the indie now with James Mangold is like indie 20 or something and it really like does feel pop. like a fully earned retirement movie like in a different way yeah 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 wow I think it's like Craig with Spectre and wanting to you know realizing that it wasn't after the heights of Skyfall in terms of public perception oh everyone was really like oh no the Spectre's oh I better do another one then um, and I think, in a sense, Harry is the same. He's like, oh, no. But I think he's always been up for more. It's just, you know, conceivably, he would have done them if Spielberg and Lucas was up for it in the 90s and so on. Even if it was like, you know, once every five years, like an Only Fools and Horses reunion Christmas special, this point once every 27 years. It's like that. Then, yeah, even so. It's just a shame that the trilogy is pretty perfect. You can say what you know certain things. I know Temple of Doom has a lot of detractors, and I have you know. And, and Last Crusade, I love, but it, it is kind of a Raiders light, and it would be nice if it was a totally separate thing. But I wouldn't want to live in a world without Last Crusade because I bloody love it, and it is a five-star film. It's just you know when you're uh, you know when you're the pyramid support to, to the best film of all time. You never, you know, it's always going to be there. But I do love Temple of Doom as well. But since Temple of Doom is a real MI2 wannabe and is a total tone shift and it goes in a different direction and it's not Nazis, it would be nice if number three was like an alien three and sort of did its own thing um, as well. That would be nice. I would like to have seen that also. I wouldn't have yeah. said no. 
<laughs> but then they could do it like a 90s trilogy as well. And maybe, I mean, probably diminishing returns, but they could fit it in. Harry doesn't have to do random hearts. The devil's zone can take a time out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it could work. I do love the um, the chemistry with him and Connery, and I, I was just sort of thinking, I just feel that um, the that, that there's something very special about really good male or male chemistry in a sort of yes. a bromance, B father and son, whatever. What you know, but the bottom line is, if it works, it really works in a way that's really fun. And honestly, Sheppy. Not to like necessarily tangent us into the 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 order of the oh, day crikey. at this point because we haven't even done the it. intro, but um, you know that there was potential with Aello and Willis in uh, mm-hmm. in Hudson Hawk. I feel that, yes. that's not necessarily fully realised, but we'll, we'll get to all of that in a, in a bit. Well, get to all that. Nice. But how's life very otherwise, nice. man? Are you <laughs> obviously. Well, I'm, I'm a bit run down um, and I'm, I'm grizzled, but that's a sort of a coincidence. Unless I'm anti-Samson, and as my beard grows, my strength diminishes. So if I leave it unchecked, eventually, it's like the end of Last Crusade, when you know Julian Glover makes a bad choice, and he turns into Christopher Lloyd for a second, and then he disintegrates, turns into a skeleton. If my beard continues, that will happen to me, and I'll eventually just be a skeleton with a massive beard. And so, so I'll try not to let it get to that. I'll give it another week. We'll see how we do. Make for a good podcast, though, Sheppy. And your sacrifice will be uh, actually, it wouldn't make a good podcast because no one likes to see it apart from me. No, that's the definition of an awful podcast. Let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> the only way is down, says Yaz. Um, Jimmy, hey, how are you? Can I say Speaking something? <laughs> Literally, as I've been working a bit too hard the last few months, I've genuinely been thinking um, quite emotionally about Last Crusade and just like, that moment where Sean Connery is holding Harrison Ford and then like he can just reach it, Dad, he can just reach it, you know what I mean? I'm like, ah, oh. and I've genuinely been feeling that almost every day, Sheppy, with a like, what am I trying, who am I trying to prove anything to and trying to set up two businesses right now? Like, who, who? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, a, I can feel my old pops in my earballs saying, just let it go, let it fucking go. Oh, who man. are you to chase this stuff? Like, who are you to chase it? Like, and, and the metaphor of that moment is very profound, I feel like, um, very profound, man. I genuinely mean that, like good old Spielberg. I think it's a really huge moment the more I think about it. I love it. Well, do you think, I mean, are you going to heed that advice and, you know, no, take No, of a, course not, Sheppy. <laughs> you're going for the Elsa. You're not indie at all. Bloody Elsa. The gloves it. are off, literally. Oh, that's <laughs> given amazing. one of the businesses, yeah. it's called gloves. I, that's amazing. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, man. And I love, I bloody love Last Crusade. It's, it, it has its own tone um, and it's, it's great. And the, I, I'm a sucker for male friendship, you know, personified and shown in films and stuff. And that relationship, their chemistry, and obviously, you know, it's sort of friendship, but obviously it's this huge father and son thing. But their chemistry, and you can see that they get on. It's a real Steve Martin and Michael Caine wannabe. It's like maybe they get on in real life, but they don't sizzle on screen. But it's the opposite. It really shines through. It's lovely. Yeah. So Can I, I say like as it. well, I feel, I mean, this is not an Indiana Jones podcast. I will do that over a few <laughs> days, I'm sure, Sheppy, one day. But yeah. um, the... Um, 
but but it has got like also I think pound for pound one of the strongest strike rates in that very special kind of cinema gag that sort of is a real crowd pleasing moment that you know the gag properly lands in a cinema screening do you know what I mean with Last Crusade there's lots of like beats and moments and fun things that they pull off like yes. you know from Connery basically all to do with Connery to be honest with you yeah. and, and you know setting fire to things accidentally you know getting the <laughs> birds into the plane and like you know all that stuff but it's very you know well anyway they don't come well, much closer than that <laughs> well that's that's genius the birds on the plane is him being nailed the uh, the setting fire to the rug is is unfortunate yeah um and the Carltons um that's great and of course I have a huge nostalgic element towards that film which is 100% connected with you of course with Cranley and then our multiple watchings after that so yeah huzzah says I but <laughs> yeah. enough of Last Crusade because earlier you suddenly just dropped in the HH bomb and I was like it made a real sour taste in my mouth because we were deep into talking about indie and then you dropped Hudson Hawk. And I was like, uh, uh, don't say that when we're deep into it. You know, I was really like wallowing in India. It's like, uh, get that fuck out of here. It's like spitting in soup, nice soup. So um, yes, coming right back to it though, Jimbo. <laughs> hey, tell you what, how, how about one of those introductions I've been <laughs> so much about? in the popular press. <laughs> well, seamlessly, Sheppy. Uh, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. <laughs> we are the What If podcast for alternate realities, sequels, prequels, TV spin-offs, you name it. Your wishes are command, etc., etc. <laughs> welcome, wow. welcome. <laughs> Jingle jangle. Yeah. You're veering into Savile territory. You want to be careful there. <laughs> Uh, yes, no, very well put. And this um, week, like Sheppy, you um, yes. did put, you did spit in our soup. You did throw <laughs> it down. I know, hoisted by my own petard. <laughs> uh, I, I can only apologise to you, to the Academy. Um, I'm, I, I am sorry, but intriguing. And anyway, said it before, I'll probably say it again at some point in relative context. I just wanted you to see the fucker. So let's get to it. Jimbo, today we're doing Hudson Hawk 2. Uh, it was film released 1991, I think. Um, you had never seen it, quite rightly so. First of all, what was your take? Um, what was your relationship to Hudson Hawk prior to watching it? Do you remember when it first came out of the cinemas? And do you remember actively making a decision to be like, ooh, that looks like a bit of a last action hero in three, two years' time. Uh, I'll stay away from that. Uh, what's your take on Hudson Hawk? Well, Sheppy, look, I, uh, I actually, I, I was ready to, you know, engage two individuals in my life, my therapist and my solicitor, <laughs> to be in touch with you, to, to see you. <laughs> <laughs> for damages but I I think uh, I have to say like where like Cat from Outer Space as homework was 
you know, start had some moments, but was was pretty painful. This actually, you know, catches Bruce at a very interesting time in his career. Yes. I mean, look, he's at once uber charismatic and then awful in it as well. Like, you know, he goes to both scales. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating little number. I mean, some great ideas in there. I think the, the whole timing of heists to songs is at once ridiculous and then also like genius like do you know what I mean and hilarious yeah um and uh yeah there's there's a few tropes I really enjoyed him enjoying his coffees and you know just generally being a bit it's just an oddball isn't he um I liked his chemistry with ALO I love that ILO is just super just happy to be there like he's so excited <laughs> isn't he ILO he's beaming the whole time it's really lovely and I had a, a text you I think and said if ILO had died at the end in his fireball that goes over the cliff the limo fireball I don't think there's a sequel I don't think I don't think this warrants it I think you know you uh, think it just, really fits into a real buddy buddy it couldn't work well with just him. I just feel like the energy leaves a lot a lot of the energy leaves the movie and I think maybe um you know it just I don't know he, him returning just means there's more capers afoot possible a bit more rather than Bruce and uh and, and Andy McDowell settling down I, I actually think Andy McDowell's pretty good in it you know, she's pretty good in it. I mean, I've got all sorts of question marks around what role she's playing as a nun that is able to travel the world and kind of, right. yeah. But anyway, we can talk about all that later. And, uh, right. and um, the great stunts I've put, like the trolley down the freeway out the back of the right. ambulance is a brilliant set piece. The, uh, the, the Da Vinci contraption at the beginning, amazing. Mm. At the end, sorry, it's amazing. The poster crowd pleaser, you know, like... I think um, so. There's some ridiculousness that I think I have to touch on though, because tonally is all over the place. But actually, before I get to ridiculousness, I'll just say um, that the uh, Richard Grant, holy moly! If if I didn't know him better, I'd just think he was just off his brain on Charlie <laughs> through the whole filming, right? Just madness. Um, Did you like his performance? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think so. He's in a totally different movie, isn't he? You know, or maybe he's well, in the I, perfect movie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I, I, I'll jump in at this point just yeah. to say, and I'll come back to it, but I'll, I'm definitely going to forget it. Otherwise, in terms of E. Grant's performance, um, I read with nails his, um, his diaries from making films. And of course, he goes into Hudson Hawk and he said, yeah, the Bruce massively encouraged him and encouraged him and Sandra and Sandra Bernard didn't need encouraging it's like Grace Jones but it was she but yeah he was like go bigger go bigger let's do it let's blow the roof off this motherfucker I'm paraphrasing but I'm sure Bruno said something on that ilk so um so E. Grant says so we went as massive as we possibly could and we had a grand old time uh and also you know ironically because of course he played Wisnail E. Grant despite your coke theory um, I understand, but yeah, no, he's not even a teetotaler. He's a decaffeinator all the way for everything. He's like, you know, he smoked herbal cigarettes as whiz now, and those even made him puke. So yeah, he's just got this natural energy that he just went big. But he also said, couldn't help but notice the bigger and more ridiculous I went, the cooler he looked naturally. 
And of course, that's, nice. you know, so, so there you are. So please continue your... Um, well, your I mean, Sheppy, I, I don't know how I can really bottle this for you, but I would just say, like, you know, this movie is bloody mad. You know, you've got so much going on. You've got blowjobs from dogs. You've got right. really quite cool action sequences. You've got, um, you know, <laughs> a whole five-minute prologue, ridiculous prologue about right. Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, it's not <laughs> necessary. You've even got the right movie. Like, it's just and, like, yeah. The great Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa gag. Lisa gag yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly right. The Mona Lisa gag, bingo, zip, jinx, bunny, a code. Um, um, instantly, you're given, like, a tone. It's like, um, well, frankly, it's like my Clash of the Titans speak pitch, where the tone kept jumping all over the place, because, like, the film could be this, or it could be this. So these are example jokes of, like, the type of tone levels, and someone had this script, didn't realise it was kind of like a paint chart when you're looking at the colours. You know, like, you know, you're like, okay, let's just do this then. So the tone goes boink, bang, bing, bong, bong, bing, bang, flat. It's weird. <laughs> to that point, Sheffy, I've got, I have the eye of the duck moment for you. I, oh, yes. I have to just say that, um, you know, we're dealing with throats being slit in quite a graphic way. We're dealing with, like, you know, a bit of romance and quite weird little kind of budded chemistry between Bruce getting knocked back by uh, Andy McDowell when they're in the room together in the, like, sort of quite a, a screwball sort of way, all that kind of thing. But, yeah. but bottom line is, it's just, I think there's a moment where you realise this isn't the movie you thought it was going <laughs> I, should, I should say G watched this with me and because oh. she's a Bruce Willis fan and and by the way we I'm going to give you this point because it's the one I'm most excited to give you in a moment but I want to just say like let's just consider 1991 for Bruce here like more, these are the all of these movies came out in 1991 <laughs> Mortal Thoughts Hudson Hawk Billy Bathgate Last Boy Scout nice four movies and, yeah, I, know, I, I saw all of those except Mortal Thoughts, but I know he plays uh, Demi Moore's abusive husband and her and Glenn Headley, a little shout out from last week, uh, gets killed as they kill Bruce Willis. And then they have oh, to amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, I will say <laughs> that's that. That's not a spoiler, I don't think. That's the plot. So it's like <laughs> first act, you know, death. Well, like, I mean, always a suit. The clues in the bloody title as well, isn't it? Someone's getting carked. Did we see <laughs> Billy Bathgate at the cinema? I think we did, yes. Isn't yeah. that funny? What a weird thing. I guess gangsters, Bruce yeah. Willis doesn't have them, Nicole Kidman, sure. Yeah, gangsters weren't as big for you and me growing up as they've become, I don't think, were I they? I guess not. I guess because we were just a little bit too young, perhaps, when Goodfellas came out in 90. And so that wave, you know, by the time Casino rolled around, I, you know, I saw it at the cinema and I was in it to win it. And I had already, of course, seen Goodfellas. But yeah, I mean, the first time I saw Goodfellas, I was probably 13, maybe just like a year or so, maybe before I, you know, I could appreciate it as well as I grew into. Um, but I was like, I like it. It's good. So that's all right. <laughs> um, but nice, no, good old Billy Barker. Anyway, sorry. And anyway, uh, it was a smaller role as well, of course, and also Mortal Thoughts. So... It's really Last Boy Scouts and, and Hudson Hawk which would have taken up. Yeah, you know, and we're talking really, of course, 1990 is when, uh, 89. That's when the schedule when was it full. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he had just come off Die Hard 2, of course, so he was massive. He was massive. Yeah, yeah you're right. He's at the apex, isn't he, at this point of his career, maybe. Yes. And this maybe was his grand folly. 
um, yeah. it went up. This was he had a he had a trajectory like Last Action Hero, and I'm going to say Rocky Five and Rambo Three and Lock Up and Dagger and Cash. It was still only as a cluster, a cluster, but. You have a, a, a career rise in Bruno's case. He was around his stuff. He's in a Twilight Zone episode in the 80s version. He was in a Miami Vice, got moonlighting, became a TV person, TV star, got Die Hard. Oh, and also, of course, Blind Date and this other Blake Edwards thing. And then Die Hard. And then he did like this couple of dramas. And then he was like Bruce Willis, pal. And then he did uh, Die Hard 2. And that was massive. And then he did. Hudson Hawk and Last Boy Scout bombed and I don't know why I really don't maybe it was actually like a, a reaction like the way Jersey Girl got damaged because of Jiggly it was that sort of thing I don't know because Last Action Hero was absolutely brilliant but it did flop and Hudson Hawk I think caused this massive like downturn and everyone was like oh and also Bonfire of the Vanities and everyone which was like right around the same time everyone was like oh fuck off Bruno and um it was, and then he hit a bit of a doldrum. He kept working. He did Color of Night, I believe, with Scott Bakula, and you see Bruno's dick in it. Uh, and he did Striking Distance in '93 um, with Jessica Sarah Parker, and I saw that at the cinema. So Bruno got my money. I think I was the only one. Well, me and Rob Bryan. So there you go. Um, but none of them were very big, and it was Pulp Fiction, which I always forget. '94, I think. '95. So yeah. '94 sounds know. right to yeah. me. I'm going to say 94, absolutely. 94, Pulp Fiction, and that was Bruno was back. It was only a very short amount of time, but it was like, oh no, see you later, Bruno. And then Pulp Fiction, and then one, two, punch, Die Hard with a vengeance. How? 12 monkeys. Oh, old Bruno. Revelation. So, and then off he went. And then, of course, you mentioned Sixth Sense. Pow! So, yeah, Bruno hit, and Armageddon, you know, not, you know, whatever you think, it was very successful, very big film. So, pow! So Bruno did very well. He did, you know, and just acting like a cunt, from what I understand, the whole way. So a bit of a shame, but you know, very some of them excellent films, and, and some of them very good performances. Yeah, you know, the siege. Remember the siege. So, um, you so know. let me get one yes. thing off my chest, and then, uh, which is just Please. to say, I think there is a specific moment where you realise you're uh, you're watching this, and you're like. Oh, did that? <laughs> uh, but the, uh, and, and I don't know, like, um, whether you remember uh, old school. For it's going to feel like a tangent, but stay with me. Do you remember old mm. school, particularly? Oh, well? yeah, I'm going I'm to lecture you about tangents. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but a specific moment where Will Ferrell has just got married at the beginning, and, uh, and he's just having a lovely first dance with his uh, wife, and the band is singing Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> and then as they sing... <laughs> They start, uh, know, they start dropping the F-bombs in. Like, just subtly, they just go, see the fucking look in your eye. <laughs> just totally unnecessary. <laughs> and it spells reaction. Yeah, exactly that. And the wife sort of goes, uh, and Will Ferrell, like, just as a cure, <laughs> Will Ferrell just trying to keep it straight, holding it together, and just sort of shakes his head like, a, <laughs> yeah. that didn't really happen, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. had exactly that moment between Jing and I watching this, where... <laughs> <laughs> they uh they've just uh robbed the museum i think it was at the beginning on skateboards i mean jesus they've cracked some pretty racist chinese jokes oh yeah just rule that out and with the soundtrack the film at its genetic core 
is a bit racist. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly that. And, uh, and, and, but look, as ridiculous as it says to say this, at that moment in time, you're like, no, this is, is creaking. We've had a coffee mug shot out of his hand in a bar and no one reacted. <laughs> maybe get new extras but that's okay and um and then like you know but it's creaking but we're still on for two stars here people we're like you know it's 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 wilting under the pressure of its own beast but you know it's 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 gonna make it like we're all right we're on board we want it to make it and then two henchmen's heads get knocked together and it makes a coconut sound (laughs) and i think she just said to me was that Coconuts. I <laughs> just went <laughs> with the pure Will Ferrell, like, no, no you're Missouri. You're Missouri. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's a five star moment. Just to keep her at the seat, keep her at the table. Uh, yeah. You know, she <laughs> quite enjoyed it too and then agreed it sort of just fell to pieces by the end. Although, you know, the, the Da Vinci flying machine is, is, is a crowd pleaser and a real stunt for some of it, it looks. So yes. that's happy. Yes. Um, oh, I, 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 before I forget, sorry, I'm going to quickly say there's this one shot um, where he wakes up in the cardboard box and he's covered in those little foamy pieces, the, the packing yeah. bits, and he and the shot starts on the close-up of just the crate with the things on top, and then he breathes out, and it's like a whale when they blow up in the air, and then he pops up and he wakes up, and his husband's off, and he's got shit all over him, he's like, Ugh, and he's all been drugged, and he gets up, and the camera doesn't cut, and it stays on him, and he walks groggily through the room, and he opens the doors and the camera follows him outside and he's like facing the Vatican or something. Yeah. And he's obviously, it's there, it's not blue screen from the 90s. And it's just like, nice. They went to this obviously very expensive place to shoot. And then they did this whole scene and then with that big reveal. And I really like that shit. Yeah, you're so right. That's, that's a brilliant moment, Sheppy. I should have remembered yeah. that. And it's uh, the Colosseum he sees as well. Right, Wonderful. right, right. Yeah. Nice. Really no, I like cool. it very much. Uh, so it has some flair. It's directed, of course, by the dude who just done Heathers. So they were going for this sort of, you know, indie vibe in a way, but obviously this huge Joel Silver money machine, big budget. So it's it's one of those weird things. You can just imagine the director got his like nuts stomped every day and had a horrible time. Maybe not. Maybe he knew what he was getting into and was just like, I'm just going to go along for the ride. But I don't know. I can't imagine it was much fun. And Joel Silver, fucking hell. So... <laughs> um, no, it's a weird film. Like I, I mentioned, so in the Richard E. Grant, did you ever read that? The Richard I did, Grant? yeah, Sheppy. I did it many years ago. I couldn't. Yeah, me too. I'm going to yes. revisit because I think it would be interesting now. To, to he mentions, well, oh, if I may, just a few things that he mentions that I want to say. I think this is possibly a good moment. Is he says like Willis was out of control, ego-wise, and that's obviously very, very apparent. He was nice. But, you know, it was a pure ego trip. Um, they went, all went just before they started filming, I guess. Or maybe at some point anyway, they went to the Die Hard 2 premiere. And, you know, it was had this, every, it went down like gangbusters. And at the end, everyone was like, yay, William Sandler's there. And everyone was happy and like, Bruno was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Richard E. Grant was like, oh, jolly good. And then they went, you know, a year later, it was their premiere for Hudson Hawk. 
and it was like funeral city and it was just like bong, and <laughs> everyone was filing out someone crying and you know no one said anything it was like yeah yeah see you later see you later and, was, and originally grant was like oh no so so there you are so that's a, that is a shame um, just to go back to something else I mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gutted, gutted. Um, and yeah, the, the Danny Aiello surviving thing that you mentioned is utterly pointless. I hate it when they do that. Where this, this happens in films sometimes where they'll kill off a character, you know, end of act two or beginning of act three or something. And so it gives the hero motivation. You have this big emotional scene when he dies. And then the, the baddie gets beaten. It's the end. The credits are just about to roll. Everything's wrapped up. Everything's finished. And it's like, hey, guys, guess who's back? And like, hey. And then it ends. And it's so pointless. And it make, and it cheapens everything. You mean I sat through 10 minutes of that shit? And, and I felt I cried for you. So and it, so it, that, it does that. I cried for Aiello is what I'm saying. And it goes over. And I can tell you that happened, again, from Richard E. Grant's book that um, because Danny Aiello was like, hey, I don't want Tommy to die. And, and Bruno's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Joe, why, why does Danny have to die? Like, no, no, don't worry about it. Hey, give me the writer, you kid. He's like, oh, yes, sir. So, um, <laughs> so then they were coming up. How did he survive? We've already shot the flaming fireball. Oh, and they came up with all these ideas. Like there's a weird parachute. And I think they even started to design this weird parachute to show this shot. But then it like, was obviously going to be shit. And like, ah, oh. so at the end, they actually solved the problem. Since they did decide to bring him back in his really shit way, even though it makes you happy for sequel purposes. I will say that when he turned up, he goes, oh, yeah, that, that's probably what happened. And they get away with it by actually just acknowledging that no one could figure out how to actually save him. So they just did it that way. And it's the type of film where, where it does go into, you know, let's say cartoonish levels of realism um, or unrealism. So it gets away with it. So there you go. Um, so Is I it don't wrong that I was really happy to see him again, Sheppy? And it's, a, it it's more of a contribution it worked, to Jimmy. ALO's It means uh, that their cheap manipulation paid off. Yeah, I had the chaos in my vein. If I could, I'd have pierced my ears five times afterwards, just like Bruce as well. <laughs> Fucking hell. I do that Remember those? All the earrings. Yes. Yeah, yes. amazing. Well, about the, um, I mentioned it earlier, do you remember when the film was at the cinema and do you remember making decision not to go? No, I remember the poster in the video yeah. shop and I remember like, you know, maybe even having it for a week or two as a spazzy, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, did you, do you remember that consciously for I us? I mean, I, no, I, it's like Last Action Hero in that it never even occurred to me to want to go. Yeah. Uh, and you know, why not? Uh, but you know, it's like I was actually here. It's like no internet. I wasn't being told anything. But it was like I not interested. It didn't even occur to me to go and see Hudson Hawk. So um, because of that, I remember being somewhere like Cranley Bakery. I don't know, I buy the Claire or something. And there was a, a picture, like a little, you know, one of those little 3D cardboard fold-out things um, of, of Hudson Hall. And I thought, that's random. Why is that up at this bakery? I'm just here for my Claire, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I remember that. So it was on at the cinema at that point, and someone said, hey, can you put this up? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So, so there you go. So that's my recollection of Hudson Hall being at the cinema. It interrupted my food. Not at all, in fact. 
So there's that. I guess I rented it out um, when it was out um, and I saw it and I was like, yeah, it's what I expected in that it was like, okay, it's, I don't think I vocalized it, but I, it's not very good, but I, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't hurt by it not being very good. I was like, fine. Um, but it was, you know, it, like it's, it is well made. It's, it does have a momentous plot. I mean, it does in that sense, but I mean, the memento of the plot, it actually works. The script, as fucked up as it is, and as uneven as it is, and as the tonally, like we talked about and everything, and they were making it up as they went along, but the actual plot and the way the scenes edit one to the other work, absolutely work. And it, and it's, look, and it certainly seems to be designed that way. And the random bits where Hawk keeps just like comically, again, it's just like a cheap shortcut, but it's like, why not? It's that type of film. Like when he falls down, he just lands in the chair and he's in the meeting. Yeah, is that right? Like that. Or the Andy McDowell meeting. It's like, right, oh, I just fell into this uh, scene. It's, funny it's like it's that. a comic character moving from one panel down into the next. I love that. Cool. Yeah, I meant to um, say that like earlier. That. Yeah, like mm. just that we've established he's unbreakable. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of like Deadpool. Yeah. He, can, he goes between the film wheels. He's like Bugs Bunny. And it is obviously cartoony, and there is the coconut, which, by the way, amazing. I love all of that. Um, yeah, no, so weird stuff. I want to mention, just in case there was anything else, I mean, yeah, I also, I did tape it off to TV, and I watched it on Channel 4. God knows what it was doing on Channel 4, but um, but I watched it there, and I taped it, and I, so I had a version taped off Channel 4, um, which is weird. I will say about Richard E. Grant, I like him, and I like Sandra Bernhard and I like both of their performances and I kind of fancy Sandra Bernhard <laughs> so, so yeah <laughs> um, and I like the gleeful leaps in logic um, you know um, all the way through and in terms of their characters and by the way Richard E. Grant was going to play him as written which was as a Texan and they started filming and he did a Texan accent and either it was a shit accent or they were like you know what just be a villain, an English villain. So that okay. So yeah, he changed very, very early, like after take two on the first day of filming. No, no, do it as English. But for a split second, he was a, a Texan, which is which is weird. I like the henchman and the the concept, the conceit, butterfingers, and you know, I like the chlamydia joke. Um, and I like a. a bit that really genuinely makes me laugh is Bunny Bobo and then you know all of that that's at the recurring joke and then the payoff when he shoots the dog out the window that works for me oh and God, I've always liked that amazing scene. yeah 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 they yeah. lost G yeah. at that point but it's amazing yeah fair <laughs> enough but that dog has been established as a massive cunt so <laughs> it's fair Bunny Bobo I like all of that um oh and about Willis's look um I like you mentioned that a bit um that, the, the, the Hudson Hawk look, I think it's one of my very favorite Willis's. He regenerated quite a bit, especially through like the late 80s through the 90s. Um, and it's, it's, I like the Hudson Hawk, the slick and that haircut um, and all of it, and even the earrings, which makes him look like a Ferengi. That's fine. That's actually in Hallenbeck from Last Boy Scout, like you said, same year. Uh, that, that's my other favorite Willis look out of all of them. And then of course, the play. And then probably, I don't know, Butch. Anyway, um, I like that. Um, and about the swinging on the star, um, I find that whole thing, it could easily not work. And I'm sure for a lot of people that doesn't work at all. I find it charming. 
And I really like the concept actually behind it, the whole synchronized robbery and they do it to music. And it's like, of course, Hudson Hawk has like this encyclopedic knowledge of music, song, time lengths, and he knows all of that. And so I like that and I like that concept. Um, so, so that's good teamwork. And again, it comes down to friendship, which I like. Um, and I like the, the wacky, zany, random brutality. Um, and I also like the line um, with the butler. I like that character. And I like he gets his head chopped off with his own little sword things. Um, yeah. And I like Sergeant <laughs> Yes, but he was a cunt, so that works. And I like her saying, you dry English madman. That really made me laugh the last time I saw that. Um, oh, and also it's worth mentioning because we did this um, on this very podcast before to mention uh, James Coburn is in this film. Good yeah. for him. Why not? And his character's name is George Kaplan, uh, which is a reference to North by Northwest. Of course uh, it which is. is yeah, yeah, no. uh, the Cary Grant being mistaken for, I'm Mark Kaplan. Yeah, so it. that's just like a little, a nice little reference there. So, so there you go. I think that's everything. I mean, I'm sure there's probably more, but I think that's probably enough about the general stuff of Hudson Hawk. Generally speaking, Jimbo, are you saying one star or are you going to squeak it with a one and a half? Is there enough positivity to just pop out a two or is that crazy talk? Look, it's genuinely hovering and I think it depends on the day. And today, given yeah. we're celebrating it, let's go to... Yeah, oh, that's very yeah. generous. But okay, <laughs> I think there are enough. I think there are enough positive things. Out of five, um, I would say two. Yes, I would say two. There's enough. There's enough fun. There's something I really want to talk to you about, Jimmy, and we can't do it now. And I'll probably just save it for another podcast. But like, there's there's a solid. I've watched a little series of films just in the last five days, and. Um, I really want to talk to you about them. And since it's such ample fodder for a poddy, I have to sit on it and it's driving me nuts. Anyway, I just had to say that once I reached for my water. That is a lovely tease for a future episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish I could just jump to that because I'm bursting, man. Bursting. But, all right, Jimmy, was there anything else? Uh, I'm happy to jump to pitches if you are. Happy, right. man. Yeah. I am. I will say, I said to you on a text, worst pitch completed, but I think I'm being a bit unfair. <laughs> it's not the worst pitch Good. I've done. And uh, it's two and a half pages. I don't pages, think you've Sheffield. done a worst. They're all equally terrible. No, <laughs> I don't think you... Great settler and Waldorf, I like it. <laughs> yeah, right. But I was both, and you were the entire Muppet. Um, I'm no, always your you fuzzy bear, Sheffy. I'm always your fuzzy bear. <laughs> I don't know, though. But who am I? Am I Kermit? I don't think so. I wish. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I do want to see. The piano. So I don't know if you're no, right. No, Sorry, let's well, stop. I can bang it. No, but I do want to see a Hudson Hawk, an exact remake or exact version of Hudson Hawk, like we've talked about before, with the cast as Muppets. Oh, I want to see every character as a Muppet. I don't even want a single human. You know, I want Kermit as Hudson, and we can work out the oh, rest of them. Yeah. Well, like you said before, I think it only needs like a little scalpel here and there, and it becomes a very good three pretty quickly, the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think the ego, and you can see Willis is very good in this film, I think, actually, but the smirk is the character, the smugness is the character, but it's all the character because it's all Willis. I mean, the idea of Hudson Hawk, it was all coming from him. 
um, Hudson Hawk was this big thing for him. He was the architect that really hit him hard and a bit, bit of a kick to the balls, probably for the best. He's, you know, I think he's, anyway, so very exciting. Gonna leave it there because otherwise I'm gonna totally go off on one again. But, um, so, so you're good, I'm all good. I'm good. Shall I yeah. just jump in? Do it, Sheppy. I'm very interested to see what Hawk 2 this time it's personal looks like for you. Willis was smug um, and I didn't want to go down a bashing Bruce Willis thing so I, so I stopped myself but you can see the smugness in the performance and that's a slight problem but he is also charming and I, like I said he's my favourite Willis look in this film so um, I'm loving it for that. Mm. Um, so Hudson Hawk 2. Shall I just jump in there, Jimmy? Yeah, let's do it. I will just say quickly, Sheps, like maximum respect to Bruce Willis, the highs and lows. What an extraordinary career. Now that yeah. it is officially over, yeah. you know, um, 100 plus movies probably, some real crackers in there, man, you know, and a very sad way for him to go out because I haven't really do didn't dove too deep into it, but... I understand there's been a bit of like manipulation gone on over the last sort of few years where he's been in movies he hasn't really had any sort of say or control over. It's been the opposite to the Hudson Hawk experience for him. Oh, wow. And he's just been that his frailty and general, um, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I don't really know the ins and outs of his condition, but I think it's been taken advantage of, Sheppy, shall we say, by various producers. Wow. Yeah. So, well, there you go. A yeah, dark, it's tough, a man. Dark really tough. So, lighten well, the Sheppy. <laughs> well, hopefully that will all come out light. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. Well, fair enough. Now, um, like you say, Bruce Willis has produced an extraordinary body of work and some fantastic performances, and a lot of films I don't like and a lot of films that are among my favourite films of all time. A lot. I'm just going to quickly say I have a special place in my heart for Blind Date, Die Hard, obviously, um, Die Hard 2, I have played, you know, um, Last Boy Scout, just that whole part of his career, and then I'm not going to go through listing everything, but those are big, big things, very much so. The good old nice winners. Um, although, apparently, he was a bit of a cunt. So, now, look, Hudson Hawk 2, Jimmy, I'm going for 1994. Now, I haven't made up my mind if in this reality, Hudson Hawk, I mean, it couldn't have been the same failure because obviously then it would never be made. Was it huge? I'm going to say, I'm going to have my cake and eat it. In this universe, Hudson Hawk came out and it was basically, I'm going to say it was Hudson Hawk, of course, uh, but it was basically received the same by the critics and everyone agreed. Everyone's in opinion was the same everyone was like oh shit this sucks but it was like a paul ws anderson film it still made loads and loads of money so everyone agreed it sucks but then you know i don't want to get political but it's starting to smell like brexit over here so nonetheless <laughs> in this universe uh hudson hawk made a shit ton of cash but everyone hated it <laughs> so they're like, what do we do? We've got this thing. We, we have to make another one. Uh, so it's three years later, 94. Um, and I, I was thinking, do I go for the same director? But is he like, no fucking way. So I think, okay, so shall I get a similar type of director? Like, I don't know, someone from the early 90s, 
uh, a Soderbergh, let's say, who wow. had just, you know, coming up through the indie scene, much like Heather's guy. Um, and so I, I thought about that. But then if I chose Soderbergh, at any stage of his career, it would, the film would end up having to be too good. <laughs> and I didn't want my husband Hawk to be good too, to, yeah, you know? So, so I, I said goodbye to that notion, but I did want to try out a director who had a vision, but would also pay you know, to do the script. In the end, I just went, and this isn't locked down 100% in stone, whatever, but I went with Rob Reiner, 1994 Rob Reiner, really riding high, would have a bit of clout, but also I think he wouldn't try and make it a quote-unquote Rob Reiner film because he was always adapting. He said, now I'm going to make, for my next trick, I'm keep doing different genres, I'm going to make a big Joel Silver summer blockbuster with Bruce Willis and I'm going to do Hudson Hawk too. That's my take. So nice. Rob Reiner, after doing all of these very good films, is like, yeah, why not? And, you know, he... he to you know, a lot of cooks, of course, in this particular broth, as always in this type of film. So I'm not going to call this a Rob Reiner film. And maybe years later, he said, worst decision of my life. But <laughs> I've gone with Rob Reiner. Um, I'm doing my classic at this point. It's Hudson Hawk 2. Um, pure. I don't know. I think I'm just a sucker for numericals. I think, you know, it could be, there are various options. I could easily say Hudson Hawk colon or whatever. Hudson Hawk 2, Hawk Harder. But we'll see, we'll see. Well, um, so anyway, we got your Bruce Willis, you got your Danny Aiello. Now uh, we have Daryl Hannah. Mm. Uh, we have, oh, Gerard Depardieu. Ooh, we've got <laughs> Isabella Rossellini. What? And we got Jimmy Spitz. So, so there's your line. I'm so happy. I feel like we'll go back to Europe, but I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hold on, hold, hold, hold on to that. Um, so jumping in, Hudson Hawk is back. Um, he, he's living a crime and stress-free life as a manager of a tasteful coffee bar in a small New Jersey suburb on an offshoot of the successful bar that he still co-owns in the city with Tommy. Um, but, you know, he's, he's really trying to settle down. He can't help but do, you know, he's helping out people in little things. He's not, you know, someone like Hudson Hawk is never 100% straight, but he's doing all right. Um, Hawk's finest cappuccinos is the best title I could come up with. So that's I'm not I'm not locked down. We can we can we can spit all that. Hawk's finest cappuccinos is his new business with pipe dreams to open a little cafe of the finest quality cappuccinos all over the world. Things are shaken up when Hawk's visited by his and Tommy's childhood friend Leo Jimmy Smith. Now that's actually something I wanted to mention. I say here his and Tommy's childhood friend, Aiello looks older. So how do they know? Do they meet in prison? I don't actually know what their backstory is. They get on like they're all childhood friends and they grew up together, but Aiello is much older. So God knows, maybe he was kind of like George and Lenny, and he was just like, oh yeah, do you? So I don't know, I don't know. Nonetheless, they they are very, very good friends. It's like um, Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci, good friends in a way that type of type but they can't do i'm just going to say they grew up they together up and danny tommy has like a, a jack uh syndrome and he's aging a bit too fast uh, but i'm not going to go into that it doesn't even get touched on <laughs> so there you are so it's their childhood friend leo who's jimmy smith uh, who wants hudson hawk for a job it's a big one and the man behind it is powerful 
and his serious connections politically and within the crime underworld. Hawke refuses while smirking and subsequently learns that Leo has been arrested trying to pull off the score himself. And not only that, the mysterious and powerful man who hired him is so angry with Leo's failure, he's ordered a hit on him in prison. So Hawke must break in to the Supermax prison with Aiello's help in an extended sequence reminiscent of the Swinging on a Star heist. We have an exciting... I also say, Sheppy, sorry to interrupt yes. you, but reminiscent also of a certain Die Hard uh, adventure. Yes, that's true. And there's another, there's another comparison coming up. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, spoilers. This is like the initial, you know, Swinging on a Star museum. They're in the prison for about the same amount of time as they're in that museum. An exciting, I mean, this is just such a cheat, but an exciting, fun and tense sequence as Hawk goes from the outer rim with easy obstacles and incompetent guards working his way further and deeper inside with more crazy security measures and more elite guards finally reaching the Supermax's red level security zone. Uh, Aiello, now this is your real Die Hard 2, meaning my Die Hard sequel uh, wannabe. Because in that, in the prison, there's like this one control room and you can control the doors and the cameras. I mean, I've seen it in films, so it must be true. So there's one of those in this prison. Aiello is in there on the cameras, having snuck in as a guard. Well, first a janitor, and then he did a pure more from Octopus. He turned his jacket on inside out and it was like security guard and he gets in that way. And they're all singing, by the way, um, during all of this, of course. And the song is Sweet Home Alabama. That's at a time nice. it just right between them once they go in. Um, so he's he's um, changing camera angles and he's opening doors from the vantage point in the security office. And he's like, you know, and as they time it with a door swinging open, you know, Diana presses the button, it clicks in. And Willis, you know, smirks his way in and then the door closes behind him. And um, there's a tense moment with a massive nasty inmate who Hawk navigates around with charm and guile while smirking and another with guards coming on his way, uh, coming his way and Hawk avoiding them in tight spaces and tighter deadlines. His last obstacle is a long corridor with multiple sliding bar doors. You know what I mean? Doors made out of prison bars, not like yeah. a saloon bar. That would be rubbish in a prison. Um, with these doors and they're sliding closed with Aiello only able to open them one at a time. But things go wrong. Aiello is rumbled and must vacate the security room. So he opens all the doors at once, which means they're all going to start shutting it too soon. So Hawk must run the gauntlet of the corridor. Well, I see all these sort of big, hairy, gorilla inmate tattooed arms coming and reaching for him from behind the but you know, they're just sort of snatching him and he's like oh excuse me coming through you know pure smoking with um, so he's running down the door and the doors are all closing shut and he's getting through them but you know they're closing more and he has to run down this very long corridor um so in the end he does this long slide on his back um and sort of on his side on the slick surface uh, and he slides through the last closing door with you know an inch to spare um, maybe he's got his hat and he goes to do an Indiana Jones, but then the door closes on the hat and rips it in half. And he's, he's left holding half his hat. He's like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. I could even go like, this never happened to someone else, but I'm not going to go lazily. <laughs> um, so, well, maybe I find a way on music. Like, mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> so he's inside and he gets to Leo um, to warn him about the impending hit 
and to maybe get him out. Uh, but we have a reveal. Leo wasn't in danger. And this was a ploy to get Hawk inside. If he wants out, he must work with Leo and his benefactor. Hawk refuses and says, I can break into this place. You think I can't break out? And Leo's like, and, you know, I'm not going to try and do a Jimmy Smith because it'll get me you know, done. But maybe, but it'll prove tricky without old Tommy's help. And come to that, what about Tommy? And we learn that Tommy's been nabbed and we, he'll be put into, quote unquote, a hole so deep they'd have to start in China to begin digging him out. Hawk defies Leo, starts to escape, but is thwarted by an impossibly attractive female guard, Rossellini. Hawk, smirking, don't let anyone in prison these days. Uh, and she, she <laughs> drugs him in some way. Maybe she squirts him in the face with some shit. And he's like, ooh. And he's drugged and he's bundled off. And he wakes up. And again, there are, you know, beat similarities to the first film here. He wakes up in a room, I'm going to say in Paris. Um, and we have maybe another reveal, but I don't want to do an exact ripoff. But he wakes up and he's there. Um, and he's with Leo um, is there. And Rossellini is there. And then we meet the big baddie, and it's Depardieu. Um, and we learn of his backstory. Uh, he was a failed artist from a very successful and wealthy French family, consisting all of overachievers. And Depardieu subsequently has a massive chip on his shoulder, or a try. He was the firstborn son, and he feels he should have been treated better by parents who only had eyes for his eight younger very successful siblings. Depardieu spent years pretending to be a starving Parisian artist, but he was always using his money's, uh, his family's money for everything he wanted. So it was all a facade. He was pushed to the edge, mocked by all, and so decided to show them by faking his own death with the plan that all of his uh, laudable artwork would increase massively in value. But then there became this, the final insult as the value actually decreased after the news of his death got out. So he's really furious and he wants Hawk to steal and swap out famous first editions of various things from around the world. For example, a bit of research here. Um, the first print of Canterbury Tales is one of the very most expensive, valuable uh, books, first editions out there um, for like 10 mil or something. So he goes and he steals that from wherever. Maybe we have an Oxford heist. I don't even know. I'm not saying it's in Canterbury. That would be amazing. I, you know, it could be anywhere. It could be in like, you know, Sydney. Someone's got the first edition of Canterbury Tales in a secure place. So that's one place. There's like the first stamp ever printed in America, for example, that's expensive. Um, first set of jewels commissioned by the Spanish royal family, you know, ages ago. Uh, all that sort of thing. And so he has to basically break into all these places and nick all the shit so um, no one will know that there. But, he, but also, now this, this, is, this might be too complicated and, and unnecessary, but he has to replace them with, with forgeries so no one will know they're missing immediately. Um, and this is all uh, Depardieu's revenge on the art world. Um, so they meet in this place and we also introduced to the lady working for Depardieu, a master forger, and this is Daryl Hannah. And she and Hawk have spiky energy. At some point, she switches allegiances, of course, does a pure pussy galore, partly because she's like, uh, she likes Hawk's smirk, 
but mainly because they learn that Depardieu plans on revealing that he has all these first editions and things on live TV transmitted all around the world, and then he's going to destroy them all on camera. And it's like, ha, 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 my ultimate revenge. Ah, so sweet, no? <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that <laughs> so Hawk and Aleo and Hannah, of course, escape in an amazing set piece and decide to beat Depardieu to the punch. So they travel the globe, keeping one uh, step ahead of Depardieu and Rossellini, who's got her own chip on her shoulder. She resents anything that gets uh, more appreciated the older it gets, as she is insanely paranoid that she will lose her looks and resents the world in advance of her old age. So they swap the items with fakes, you know, our heroes, before Depardieu must get them, and they replace it with, you know, so they replace the fakes with fakes, if you know what I mean. So the real items will escape destruction. Uh, now the film is set in Paris, uh, Marseille, like the French countryside, I guess you like an old farmhouse or something, Cannes, as well as Japan, San Francisco and Mexico. Uh, at some point, uh, maybe San Francisco is where the Canterbury Tales book is. At some point around the halfway mark, Leo, Jimmy Smith, is pure killed by Depardieu. You know, he was never very good anyway. He was a horrible guy. He betrayed Hawk straight off. Um, you know, he says to Depardieu, like after Hawk escapes yet again, you know, Leo points out that this was due to like Depardieu, you know, his bad planning or something. And so Depardieu shoots him in the head. And Depardieu you know, says, everyone's a critic. So in Paris, <laughs> Hawk has to break into the top of the Eiffel Tower and steal some loot stashed there by the French resistance and thought lost forever. And he parachutes in off a, off a building and then catches the wind, maybe off the Arc de Triomphe. He jumps and, you know, opens the chute and goes and catches the updraft that he knew was going to be there. And he lands at the top of the Eiffel Tower with some high winds and capers hanging from the structure sliding down the strut supports, etc., chased by the French police and French heavies. Uh, they go to Cannes, they, they go to the Cannes Film Festival um, and they must attend a premiere of some mega budget stinker. And it's an ironic nod to the first film's reception. And Hawk, and even that maybe they get like a cameo from someone, maybe Richard E. Grant saying, I don't know why I keep being in these films. And that'd be a great. A great thing. So then Hawk um, must, yeah, and Aiello and Hannah are at this like big, big premiere, and then and then lots of cameos. Why not? And Hawk must steal a necklace from the Hollywood diva who's in attendance, and this is played possibly by Christina Applegate because I guess it's 1994. She's hot off my babysitter's dead. So anyway, plush parties, hot, smoking swank, hot, <laughs> smoking hot. I mean, you know that was you know, forget pretty woman. Um, don't tell mum the babysitter's dead, I believe. Um, plush parties, swanky locations, lots of chances for digs at Hollywood, the commercial and the arty, you know, one of those pat yourself on the back type shit. Uh, oh, and we have a cameo from Reiner as Marty DeBerge, so that's nice. Uh, he could be the director of this stinker uh, premiere. In Marseille, Hawk must steal an original Henry Ford car from a private uh, and corrupt collector. This leads to a car chase through the city streets and coastal roads. Hawk driving this, oh, and there's a funny moment with him trying to, you know, work the crank to get the engine going and the baddies are getting closer. Like, what the hell? You would have thought of had practice. Um, that's like a wanking joke, it's not very good. 
uh, being chased. <laughs> are they good at those the... rubbish sort of loo yeah, jokes um, with all the blowjob yes. stuff and the doggy? So if Aiello's there with it, then yes, exactly. He'd be like, you would have thought you'd be used to that sort of motion by now. And he's like, you're, you're funny. Um, so there's this big car chase um, and they're being chased by, you know, uh, top end sports cars and Humvees and stuff using like, and, and of course, so Hawk is using his coolness and smirk to swerve and jump and avoid the faster, stronger cars, most of which, you know, end up crashed and smashed and fucked. Uh, so that's an, a nice sequence, ending in a jump, I assume. Uh, in Mexico, Hawk must steal a diamond skull from a pyramid and tangles with a massive re Mexican wrestler, El Bruzo. He and Tommy also disguise themselves as a mariachi band, complete with sombreros, maracas, and fake droopy mustaches. Because if not, what the hell are we doing here? Climax, now <laughs> this is interesting, and you're not going to believe me, but I swear this is how this happened. So the climax is inside a volcano in Japan. Now I know. <laughs> That that's the end of your Indian choice. And what's what's more, when I wrote this, I thought, okay, inside a volcano. So, and I wrote, this isn't going to be like Blofeld's place. But it wasn't till much later I thought, and it's Japan. I was going to do it in Chile, and I wanted to do it in a volcano. And so, but then I thought, well, we've already done Mexico, so let's do Japan. And as I just suddenly thought, it is your Indian choice. But it's not a Blofeld affair. It's not like a big hollowed out volcano super lair. It's like an active volcano, but you know it's been mined into, so it's more of a view to a kill type thing. Uh, so there's caves and drilled tunnels in the rock and everything, little lava pools and shit. Um, and it's a shithole. And it's here that Depardieu will drop the collected loot into the volcano. Um, and at the end of, well, basically in act three, Depardieu gets the upper hand, captures our heroes and lays his hands on the genuine merchandise. Hannah has uh, has done all this weird, this more sort of weird Da Vinci shit, like alchemy type stuff, but Hannah has forged gold replicas with materials that look like gold, but are 100% heat resistant. I don't know if we can work, I don't know if we need to work this into the plot <laughs> organically or not, because this is Hudson Hawk too. A scene here uh, has the heroes in hot water. It's the end, basically, it's the climax, they're apparently beaten. Um, Hawk has set a bomb which will cause the volcano erupt, and he's with Aiello, and he and they set the they set it for six minutes, um, and then they get caught, then they get tied up, and it's been established. So six minutes is five seconds longer than the length of Bohemian Rhapsody. So they start doing that, and he drops it, and then they get caught. Depardieu is smug. And they're tied up, and Depardieu asks them if they have any last words. And Hawk says, Yeah, any way the wind blows. And Ayala understands, oh. and there's a cool camera push in on Ayala as realization dawns. And they got five seconds, and he ducks, Hawk ducks, Hannah ducks, Depardieu doesn't, and there's a boom, and lava sweeps into the chamber, and loads of baddies are covered in lava, and it's all very. Oh, yeah, over the top, gory and horrific because it's Hudson Hawk, so it has to be tonally inconsistent. Horrible lava deaths, <laughs> but played funny. Um, Hannah is almost scuppered by Rossellini, who gets her at gunpoint and is ready to do her in. Rossellini, uh, meanwhile, has swallowed these fake diamonds because she doesn't want to lose all this nice stuff. But as uh, but this is, these are the fake diamonds that Daryl Hannah has also constructed. Um, 
but he, this was done in case it was consumed by the lava. But we learned that these fake diamonds react badly when are, and are combustible in water. So Isabella Rossellini's gloating to Dawahala, and she says, you think you're so young and beautiful now? Well, you wait till they find your corpse entombed in ash 1,000 years from now. See how beautiful you are then. And Hannah says, beauty is on the inside. And then Rossellini explodes as the diamonds go up inside her and she just covers the walls in guts. Uh, Aiello and Hannah, um, <laughs> then they grab a leftover sheet of the heat retardant fake gold, like a big shield, um, and use it as a surfboard on the lava. Um, <laughs> Hawk, meanwhile, <laughs> Hawk um, has saved the last genuine item from the pile of fakes. He's got it. It's the original coffee grinder used in the first coffee plantation in Colombia 3,000 years ago. He's like, I can't let this go. Uh, then Depardieu pops up and he's not dead, but he's scarred. It's, it's the villain coming back in the third act when you think he's dead. And that is acceptable for the final Duke Uh So he pops up and he's scarred, but he's alive. And he and Hawk have a fist fight as the volcano erupts around them in this underground lair. Uh, as Hawk looks to be fucked, with Depardieu in mid-gloat, the lava bursts into the chamber and with Aiello and Hannah riding the, the, the big shield sheet thing like a surfboard, and they're like, ah! And uh, Hawk jumps on the board and is grabbed by those two, um, leaving Depardieu to get consumed by this massive lava tidal wave. He's like, ah, mon dieu! Uh, with our heroes, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it seems right. Uh, with a, I'm not going to go for a nerd. This is a family film. With our three heroes escaping, riding this lava wave on a heat-resistant surfboard, some of this metal which Hannah had used in the they escape, they do a big burst out into the, the countryside and they land. Uh, near the volcano and they're sort of all battered and shit and there's like smoke coming off Hawk and uh, Daryl Hannah says to him, you're smoking! And Hawk says with a smirk, well thank you, you're not too bad yourself. The three heroes stroll off into the Japanese countryside and Hawk saying, you know, we're getting a bit racist now just for Prince Hudson Hawk too. You know, this would be a great location for Hawk's finest cappuccinos. And uh, Tommy's like, oh, here we go. And Hawk's like, no, listen to me. Why do Jap what do Japanese love most of all? And Daryl Hannah's sushi. And this uh, is one shot, and they're walking away from the camera. And you know it's the last shot of the film, and the credit is waiting for the credits to roll. And they're walking off literally into the sunset. Why not? And uh, Hawk's like, you know, so H Hannah's like, sushi? And Hawk's like, no, they like feeling big. So let them drink coffee from a tiny little cup. For a change, you'll make them feel like Godzilla. Oh my god! And, and Tommy's like, I don't think Godzilla like cappuccinos either. There, and uh, Hawk's <laughs> like, you nuts! He just hasn't had the right blend, is all. That's why he's so mad all the time. <laughs> Hammer's like, oh lord! And Aiello's like, don't worry, he'll shut up with some coffee inside him. And Hawk says, I'll drink to that. And off they go, and the credits finally roll. A big the end comes up in that really pretentious <laughs> scroll, and then that's that's the end. Oh, and um, uh, yeah. So uh, taglines really only two because two of them are basically the same, but one of them is weird. Burglar by night up for a fight doesn't make sense because he robs stuff during the day all the time. 
Um, and he's not really up for a fight, he just wants to be left alone. So that doesn't work at all. So it's perfect passing hawk too. Also, smooth, strong, rich, and that's just his coffee. Yeah. Um, that does imply that you have to know about the coffee. Otherwise, you're like, well, it's a film about someone who makes coffee. I don't get it. Uh, but because Hudson Hawk, everyone saw it, so everyone does get the reference. Or, very similar, but um, smooth blend, perfect frost. <laughs> and that's, and that's, like, that's my last tagline there for Hudson Hawk 2. I think you are going to get some commissions to write ho-ho-ho endings in the future because <laughs> that was at once awful and magnificent. That ending was amazing. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. It makes yeah. I mean, there's lots of reasons I'm sad over the of, over the fact that some of the SOG output doesn't really exist in the world beyond our podcast. <laughs> I think Depardieu's performance is now officially in the top three all time. I don't know what it's up there with. I'll have to reflect on that a bit. But, you know, I really want to see that character brought to life. I love his last expression, you know. <laughs> That's absolutely stunning. You're going to be like, there's a lot of things we've gone down a similar route with Sheppy. Oh, very good. I like, I like the bringing uh, Daryl Hannah in. This is the most similar, by the way, we've ever been, which is interesting. Wow. Um, I, li I like bringing Daryl Hannah in. Um, it's an interesting, there's a decision to make, I'd imagine, in most part twos. Do you go down the Bond route of like ditching the last lady that was, you know, in it yeah. or, uh, or, 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 you know, love interest, should we say? Probably the same for um, female that. Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to stop talking myself in the talk. <laughs> uh, just, just I think there's something like Hudson Hawk. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the Bond principle works. I mean, first of all, I'm not in love with Andy now and never have no. been. But, but also, you really don't need to have the same. It's not like they fell in love. No. So it's not, it's not necessary. And she's a flipping nun. <laughs> there is that. There is that. And with again, talking to said. the face. She is back in mine. She's oh, back in mine. Oh, I love it. But, well, that's that's really good. Uh, yeah, because I, I I flirted with that. I flirted with a whole other one, Sheppy. But look, are you ready for my pick? I love yours, by the way. Yes, that please. was just bloody Thank delicious you. and perfect. Yeah. So that's great. Um, I look. I flirted with um tweaking your title and going Hudson Hawk Part Two, and making it like. Godfather style, like two um, timelines, one where it's wow. the young Hudson being like, you know, um, brought up through the ranks of cat burglary, getting caught, and you end that timeline there, and then in right. the future, meanwhile, there's a new mission. And, and of course, How would you go. see him meeting Tom in that case? I, don't, I didn't even go there. I don't know. I mean, I, I, think it's a, I think it's prison and Tommy gets out first, probably, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah. And they what got each other's backs. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Otherwise, it doesn't really work, does it? You know, Tommy playing any kind of second fiddle to him, apart from Tommy being a bit simpler, I suppose, and not having the yeah. skills. Well, um, it's Hudson Hawk. He's he's you know he's got all the answers. He's got all the moves. He's slick as fuck. All the earrings. Don't try putting thumb cuffs on him. He'll take those out and have a go at you. Break your arm. I That's really like that scene too. Yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of timing each other in a very clumsy way on that. I love it. Without a stopwatch, so you're getting the fact that they're really on their time as well. That's cute. Um, 
All right. Well, look, Sheppy, 1993, so a year earlier than yours. I think in my universe, Hudson Hawk 2 was just, at, at, let's say it's 50 mil more and, and Willis wants to come back. No, this it was a smash enough that give them, give them more of what they want. Pretty much rehash the original, just to be clear. Right, good but, stuff. <laughs> but, um, but Hudson Hawk 2, uh, Layman's back, Michael Layman's back. You've got Bruce Willis nice. back as Hudson Hawk. You've got Daniela back as Tommy. You've got Andy McDowell back as Anna. We've got Dana, Dana Carvey Ooh. as Charles Mayflat. Now, see, this is going to be a problem today. For the first time in about 20 pictures, I've written it down. So there's going to be a couple of moments where I stumble, Sheppy. Oh, I love it. So I think, God, I, I think Richard E. Grant's surname was Mayflower in the last one. So spoiler alert, we're going for a sibling shenanigan like you had with oh. Death I Do in terms of the, the motivation. But um, because at this point in time, bearing in mind, Myers has gone off and gone and done So I Married an Axe Murderer. Um, and so we're basically going to have Dana coming in as his brother, Richard E. Grant's brother, and putting oh. on a British accent when we get there. So anyway, yes. um, so I mean, the text in British, thing, anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, the uh, we then have, um, now look, I'm going to give you two characters that are not in this, but are, well, they're in it, but I've done zero with them, really. <laughs> so because I, I, I flirted at one point with this being Hudson Hawk was a behemoth and everyone wants in. So I've got Demi Moore as an Interpol agent and I've oh. got Gene Hackman as a corrupt CIA agent. So <laughs> imagine that Gene Hackman goes on exactly the same journey as Coburn and that first one. That's it. That's yes. Yes. So that's oh. it. He gets his death, but I'm not giving it any scenes to Bruce yeah. or anything. I'm so sorry, but uh, just <laughs> this amazing Hackman action going on throughout this movie. Um, we also have Anthony Hopkins as Charles Darwin and Richard E. Grant as um, Mayflower, senior, senior, great, 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 great grandfather. Oh, of the boy. amazing. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> we oh, so you're doing pure flashbacky exactly the same i mean you know it. this is exactly where so we're going dark. first sheppy so we yeah. open with a ridiculous gratuitous flashback and we spend ages i put in capital letters in early 19th century britain like it's just it, it could <laughs> this movie could for all intents and purposes be a darwin biopic right so <laughs> Hopkins is playing Charles Darwin. This is hot off Silence of the Lambs. He is acting his socks off, I put. Um, you know, the theories that we see, the theories of evolution, um, ridiculed, then um, oh, discovered, ridiculed, published, <laughs> accepted. <laughs> we see the full journey of... <laughs> wow. Um, and, um, and then... We see him onto something and he thinks he's cracked something else, which might open up, you know, even further proof that there is no God or like the whole idea of anything metaphysical is ridiculous. And he's cracked this code to existence. And um, his partner, you know, at, at whatever, at Oxford University or whatever, I mean, I don't even know. I didn't do enough research to know whether Darwin had anything to do with Oxford University. But there's one little um, possible similarity, Sheppy, but, you know, bringing it to there. But um, the, <clears throat> let's say, 
given this is the you know Joel Silver probably producing it again and he doesn't care either and there's no Wikipedia let's assume Darwin went to Oxford University and his co-professor and buddy played by Richard E. Grant as the Mayflower senior 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 is properly in on this whole thing and um oh, very and... nice oh and it's a real Dracula reunion oh the that's, year later. Yeah, that's nice. great oh I like it <laughs> Um, so anyway, um, he, he's cracked it, and then however we think Darwin's died, it's not the way Darwin died because Richard E. Grant kills Darwin, you know, with oh, a big sinister no. moustache and a twirl. And he's like um, Blackadder, he's always a Roman. Yeah, and he steals the book, and then we cut to the future and we cut to Tommy's bar. Um, only now it's been converted to a coffee shop, Sheppy. And, oh. um, and uh, so there we go, a nice little barista uh, bubble for the two of us. Um, and um, so Hawk is behind the counter. He's gone fully clean. No more. He's not doing any. We're, we're establishing all this. He's loving his life as a barista and all this. Um, Anna and Tommy come in. It's about, uh, let's just say it's mid-afternoon. They're returning from church. And um, oh. Tommy is born again now. Like, you know, it, it, he's he's got like, you know, it's one of those, I put here really annoyingly bad exposition, you know, when, well, it, it's Hudson Hawk too, right? So it doesn't matter, but like Tommy's yeah. at the bar and even though they'll obviously just been together the last couple of years and they're never talking, like, why would anyone ever talk about this? But he's like, over his coffee, just for the benefit of the audience watching Hudson Hawk too, he's like, you know, when I went over that cliff in a fireball, I really, <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like I found God and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, um, you know, there, um, there's a bit of banter between the fact that, you know, Willis might have gone straight, but he hasn't chosen church in the way that, you know, Tommy has. And obviously Anna is still keeping her one foot in the, in the, in the, with, with the Catholic church or whatever. And, um, but, you know, so there's that kind of frisson and dynamic going on between them around, you know, Bruce's, I guess, representing Dar Hudson Hawk representing Darwinism here, Sheppy, and the other two representing faith and the church and all the rest of it. Amazing. We're bloody going. And it back. also works with her being split down the middle, and Aiello is her angel, and Hudson Hawk is her devil. If you can read the film that way. <laughs> wow, I love it. Um, so look, I said mid-afternoon a bit clunkily because basically the coffee shop is closing up, but three gangster-looking characters come into the coffee shop, huge fellows, probably the same extras that were in your prison scene, and <laughs> um, and and basically, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark style, you know, we're we're closed, and um, but of course a fight ensues where these guys, um, you know, get into fisticuffs with all three of them, and all three are having like a one-on-one -on -one with an individual, you know, and um, and and I just put really, this gets really nasty, including like Willis smacking the hell out of someone with a coffee puck, like with blood splattering on the walls, but we also <laughs> get. You know, someone also getting like a knockout by coffee bean beans where the beans are falling out of the machine going bing, bong, bing, 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 <laughs> making coconut sounds. And, um, and then um, the uh, so the gang of three are essentially dusted off and 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 knocked out and um, not killed, but knocked out. Well, actually, probably the putt guys yeah. got a putt wedged through the head, probably. But anyway, about <laughs> point is um, they're down and um, but the three of them are exhausted. Um, and and then in a, in a second wave of attack, Dana Carvey comes in as Charles Mayflower, and um and he comes in with with a few more goons, and um and and he's got his British accent, and um 
and basically he charges Hawk with um, achieving his, because um, he's got them cornered. This, I guess, is the motivation. There's no other motivation other than they're outnumbered, outfoxed, outgunned, and have to do it, if you like. But he charges Hawk with his greatest prize yet, his greatest caper yet, to get the Mona Lisa. I feel that we've got to pull that smile gag from the first one through. Um, so um, we, 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 we cut to um, a, um, a real caper in Paris, with the three team up to um, to take the Mona Lisa, uh, they they uh, there's a moment just before they go into the museum where they can't agree a song um, uh, to do it to, and that they all know, and the boys want to do you know some kind of swing hit. Andy McDowell it transpires as Anna, she doesn't really know many um, songs because she's been a nun. By the way, as I wrote this, I became really happy that I kept her in the movie because there's a lot of to mine from that you know about. I say this, she did not have a protected nun, nun sisterhood, did she? Let's be honest. She's no. able to travel the world as a faux yes. art specialist or whatever. Anyway, but she matter. did know her onions, I assume. I mean, <laughs> I guess she wasn't pretending to know her onions. She did. Yes. She is actually an art specialist. So there is that as well. Yeah, she's, so she's, just she's, sort of... she's got it all. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I'm, I know what I said earlier about, like, in terms of, like, having different things. But what I should have said was, in my particular universe, if when they make Cousin Hawk 3 and 4 and 7 and 12, then it's going to be like that. But in terms of yours, for the clean five in the in the Jimmy-verse, Cousin Hawk films that exist throughout the 90s <laughs> and into the early 2000s, then yeah, have McDowell as long as you can. Uh, I, I reckon she'll probably drop off after four weddings and a funeral. Because of <laughs> um, I will say, man, I meant to say, your Bohemian Rhapsody, beautifully timed i love what you did with that um and and here i attempt similar not i don't there's nowhere near on the same um, plateau but um she they because she can't the one thing she knows in terms of music that they could use is the sound of music of course it is and um and the one thing the boys know from the sound of music that could work is a few of my favorite things which is the same time and i just think that's just a song where you could do like a you know the way the song lands with when a dog bites, when a bee stings, like you know, with those last words, you could punctuate them a little bit with a few things as they're doing the the robbing of the Mona Lisa, you know, anyway. But um, yeah, they um and that's course, great. I love uh, shit like that. <laughs> I'm trying not to interject because I'm just yeah, but I, I would say oh, I love that. When the dog clanks, pow. No, I really <laughs> that that rings my potato. Um, and the nunnery, of course, I mean, yes. solving a problem like Marie. Um, so we've got, uh, and I've got like, of course, that then gives us some gags, you know, around um, the, uh, you know, her finding out new tunes as she goes. Like, do you know what I mean? And listening to a oh, nice. big fat Sony Walkman or something over the. <laughs> um, so uh, now this is where I'm trying to read my own writing, should be. Okay, they, they get the painting. Okay. And then, um, and then, of course, we have the scene with Dana Carvey getting the painting as well for his spoils from their their caper, and um, and of course he's charismatic and crazy, um, and he takes it as he's giving a big expository speech, um, probably actually the full state of his sibling rivalry with Richard e. Grant and where he sees himself in the world. I didn't really think that through as beautifully as he did, but Young clips the Mona Lisa from the back of its frame and then just sets fire to it. Like the guy's mad. You know, um, he doesn't give a shit, and um, and also um, 
he just wanted to see you know, the whole point of this. This wasn't his motive to get the Mona Lisa and become rich or anything. Um, he wanted to see if Hawke still had it, you know, if he could still pull off great capers. And um, what he really wants is um, a book that um, was his great, great, great grandfather's and, um, and, and uh, his grandfather, he's found his great grandfather's diary. Maybe after the Darwin scene, we then have a 10 minute, early scene of an unrecognizable actor <laughs> pretending to be a young Dana Carvey finding his great-grandfather's diary wow. of Charles Darwin's stuff. It's 25 minutes into the movie and makes a flat white. So there we go. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, it's uh, so this diary, Darwin's final discovery, um, the answer to why existence, everything, you know. So um, the, the, the idea is they need to go and get um, essentially the Darwin's diary, which for sake of argument is housed within Oxford University in England. And um, so maybe there's an opportunity for a pub scene and because Bruce isn't really a drinker, Andy McDowell's never really got drunk. So there's an opportunity to kind of do that with her innocent nunnery. And we have a nice lock stock style hammered sequence there. Maybe, <laughs> um, maybe even with Dada Carvey as well, they'd be just really happy like the, <laughs> like the gangs all together, like on a little caper. Um, I do see him as sort of the Andy Garcia and Oceans coming into the fold for the game, you know. Um, nice. so, um, and 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 it's in like Darwin's uh, old old uh, desk or something preserved in Oxford in some case or something you know, and you know I haven't really followed this through, but I've got two things that have to happen on this caper. One is the boys have to pretend to be British, so you can just imagine <laughs> I want those accents to be as awful as possible, like you know awful. Um, I want Willis and Big Specs, you know, really stupid ones, like you know, but just uh, all right, governor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then I think maybe the robberies to my way because the girl, I, I don't know, they work it out. They play my way for Andy, and she's able to time it as well. Um, and and Carvey's on the heist with them. Um, and uh, and basically, oh, you know what? I actually changed tack. This is very unprofessional, Sheppy, in my pitch. I think in the desk was going to be a, a missing link, sort of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade style. There you go, nice. You know, like a, go to this, X leads to Y, leads to Z sort of thing. Nice. Like, essentially, there's a MacGuffin here that leads to X MacGuffin that leads to whatever, whatever. There's a clue in the desk that leads to the final location. And, um, and it turns out, like, you know, it looks like the royal family stole this book back in the day. And, um, and Carvey then fully plays his hand at this moment, kidnaps Hawke at gunpoint. I just thought it was just play on the formula wow, um, nice. and, and takes him off. And, um, and, and we've got Danny Aiello and Andy McDowell sort of like now in Oxford trying to get themselves out, uh, basically wondering where he'll have taken them off to. And they, they're trying to solve the, the, the riddle themselves. Dana Carvey's got all the info as to the royal family and the location of this final thing. But they work out, you know, it wouldn't have been Buckingham Palace. It would have been like Windsor Castle instead or something. So the finale of the movie is at Windsor Castle, Sheppy. I haven't really pulled this out. I haven't got any beauty. I mean... I, I've got like here, maybe, I mean, <laughs> I've got a death here that's very reminiscent of the doggy in a minute, but, um, <laughs> but, they, um, but we've got basically Bruce is obviously rescued um, and maybe he's been putting some stocks in Windsor Castle or something, you know, just <laughs> something old school like that. Um, I've got 
you know, Carvey's death might be crushed by a drawbridge or something stupid. In the, I don't know, I haven't really thought it through or falls off one of the turrets. Um, and um, and the, the big thing is that we've got Hackman, who's also obviously been the uber villain, maybe the best villain of the 90s, maybe also like Tommy Lee Jones won an Oscar for his portrayal in this movie. <laughs> you can hear about none of it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been awesome and by the way a glamorous young Debbie Moore who's had all sorts of amazing scenes there's been amazing chemistry and a bit of jealousy down. like you know all of that's been going on as well by the way she's been hot on the, the heels as well and is at the castle yeah. too so that, that, that's been evident through everything I've just said obviously Sheppy isn't it and then, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel like he's cornered by Hackman at the very end and um, in a proper, you know, I I, I was going to do a fugitive reference that I won't even bother. But, you know, essentially he um, and there's the canon and Willis has the book with Darwin's secrets and um, and he's he can see that there's a cannonball there whenever he puts the cannonball in, fires it up and uh, he's, you know, this is an Austin Powers style, like, you know, Hackman has at least 20 minutes to get out of the situation, and yet he continues <laughs> to stand and talk to Willis with yeah. his big face <laughs> with a big cannon. But anyway, that's you hear there. That's good stuff. And Willis throws the book, Darwin's book, into the cannon as well, as the ball fires out, and they blow Hackman up with the ball and the book, and the whole point is like, you know, got to keep the mystery going, you know, we'll never know if that fella was right or whatever, you know, like, uh, that's uh, just to, so that you know the whole the attack maneuver yeah the so. POIs only shit yes <laughs> so willis keeps religion alive uh, oh that's nice I'll keep but no ho 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 ending sheppy i wish i did i the mean fuck yours... god then the credits <laughs> Off the camera. Um, so that's that's hawk too man as I that's have great it. man <laughs> um no brilliant i would i would watch that i would watch the shit out of that we probably need to be very drunk i think chefs we probably need a fair well, few brews that's on brand that's on brand um <laughs> yes wonderful jimmy um and i love the gene hackman deep characterization but i can see it jimmy i can see it all the, the more <laughs> I would be surprised if they had chemistry. I think it'd be more likely that Willis would have really good chemistry with McDowell, finally, and then more comes in and it's really awkward because they have no chemistry on the screen. That would be something I would like to see. But then he doesn't really have chemistry with Maddie McDowell either, so who knows what the fuck's going on. But I'll say this, that's all brilliant. I love that. Um, and you know what? Another little similarity for a split second, I did, I think I even wrote the name Demi Moore when I was writing down notes, um, but then it changed to someone else. I don't, it wasn't even Isabella Rose, it was a different character who I guess didn't make the cut. Uh, so there you go. Amazing. We come, yeah, yeah, I know. This is our, of course, I guess our second Willis after Die Hard, and of course I did do the prison, but I just like the idea of Hudson Hawk breaking into prison. So that's just a coincidence, I think. Even yeah, that I shit. genuinely want to use Willis in prison. But I like all our little similarities uh, very much. And I liked your, your villain very much. I liked the whole interplay with everyone. And I'm glad you brought back McDowell, like I said, and I'm glad Aiello was just being pure Aiello. Again, I like your description earlier. So happy to be there. Can't believe it's fucking luck. Grinning from ear to ear. Like, I'm going to be in Leon in a minute. Yeah, no, good for him. <laughs> just um, life. Do the right thing. 
Uh, so no, wonderful, Jimmy. I would love to see it. And I want to see the trailer very much as well. <laughs> um, are we saying this was a hit for you? Will there be those sequels? Or was yeah, it a- yeah, let's say it's an absolute monster. It's the summer. It beats Jurassic Park in 93. Yeah. It's like, right. oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to be governor. Park is the last action hero of Nigeria. A last action yes. hero is enough. I mean, Bruce Willis becomes governor of California. Oh, he, wow. uh, yeah, there's a different trajectory. Yeah, yeah. No, the whole universe is well screwed. Arnie, then, you know, Sixth Sense. What's the point? <laughs> Arnie, Sixth Sense, as Lady Joel Osmond, which is a weird <laughs> twist. Very straight. Mom, you've got to believe me. Oh, God, yes, please. Um, yes. Well, I would like to see all of that. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy, that's brilliant. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about the Hudson Hawk? I'm good on HH if you are, Sheps. I'm good. Very, very happy. That was the, lovely. The reality is just stuck in. I, 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 need, I, I need to think of something right now for us. I've, I've yes. got a little list here that I've just opened. And <laughs> it's scary. I can't, I'm very excited. Well, it's a I'm milestone as well. It's EP30. In the clip, well, I mean, I know we've done more with the bubbles, but you know, no, yes, but canon. because one bubble actually morphed into a genuine app, it's worked out really well because it means it is your choice for number 30. So the pressure's off me because I had number 20. So hooray for Sheppy, Sheppy wins again, Sheppy forever. So, with that in mind, no pressure. What have you got for us, Jimmy? And by the way, it doesn't have to be a milestone, it's 30, hazards, says I, but yeah. it's okay. Uh, whatever makes you happy, Jimmy, will make me very happy. I had a whole alter. What I've got written here is not quite where I'm going to go with it, but I'll elaborate more on that when we do the pod itself. Um, because right. I had a whole thing I really wanted to do with this, which I'll say more when we get there. Suffice to say, there will be zero research required for this, Sheppy. You'd be very uh, oh, pleased to know. Cool, very nice. I would like a, another National Lampoon's Vacation movie, please. Amazing. <laughs> That's absolutely joyous. Uh, I'd love to, Jimmy. That that's great. <laughs> I had a whole other thing I wanted to do until I watched Weird Millers at the weekend, which I'll tell you right. about when we do the pod. But um, right, but yeah, I uh, yeah yeah. Anyway, cool. But look, National Lampoon's Vacation, and you know, go wherever you want with it. It doesn't have to be a sequel to Vegas. Chevy can be pure pomp yeah. and you smash a sequel yeah. between European and Christmas or do whatever you yeah. want, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, spoilers, I think that's what it's going to be. It's yeah. going to be between European and, and Christmas. It's going to be that way. 80s. Yeah, you know. It kind of yeah, has to be, doesn't it? 87, 88 is what I'm <laughs> just going to say right now. Uh, yes, our oh, Jimmy, thank you. What a treat. What an absolute treat. I can't wait. Um, so, yes, yes, brilliant. Um, well, Bill, so that only leaves us with the age old question, Jimmy Millad. How do we sign off from this? What can we uh, possibly say? What could we possibly sing? Would you like to do a pod? Would you like to eat like Zod? That's all I got. <laughs> I'm sorry my pitch was about God. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to be a duck? <laughs> it's weird stuff. Weird, it's a weird song. I think it's I think I think it's got legs though, Sheppy. I think it's got I legs. Do. Like a duck. Yeah. Would you like to look like Don? 
right, well, somewhere in there, I'm sure there's a there's a fade out. I'm sure it's our <laughs> fade like our pod careers. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.